Friends, I want you to uh, take a moment to think about the last time that you experienced a problem in your life. Uh, think of the last time that you were mistreated. Think of the last time that you suffered or were grieving or were hurting. But what did you want during that time? What is it that you desired? If you're like most people, my guess is that you wanted two things. One, you wanted deliverance from your suffering. You probably even prayed for that. And second, you probably also wanted someone who would be with you in your suffering. You wanted someone who would listen. You would want someone who understood and sympathized. Someone who would offer words of encouragement. Someone who would do the patient and gentle work of comforting you and ministering to you. Well, brothers and sisters, what we will see this morning is that Jesus does both of those things for us. Now go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. You can also find that text in the back of your bulletins. As a reminder, we're spending the weeks leading up to Christmas studying a few passages from the second half of the book of Isaiah that prophesy about the coming Messiah. We began last week by looking at Isaiah 40, and if you were here last week, you might remember that Isaiah was writing to a people who were suffering and hurting. He was writing to the nation of Judah that had been conquered and forcibly exiled out of their homeland by the nation of Babylon. But at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 40, God announced a word of comfort to his people. He said that he was going to come and rescue them. Well, beginning in Isaiah 42, we see hints that God's comfort in his salvation would come through his appointed servant, the servant of the Lord. Now, Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9, uh, is the first of a series of prophecies in the second half of Isaiah, known as the servant songs of Isaiah. The servant songs of Isaiah. There's four servant songs in total, and Lord willing, we're going to look at each one of them over the course of the next four weeks. And these servant songs prophesy the coming servant of the Lord. He will come and rescue and comfort God's people. Well, as we saw from our scripture reading in Matthew a moment ago, the servant that Isaiah prophesied about is none other than Jesus Christ. Matthew applied that prophecy to Jesus. These servant songs, therefore, give us insight into who Jesus is and what Jesus came to do. They, they paint a picture of a rescuer who would not only come to save his people, to deliver them from their trouble, but also one who comes to us in our suffering and comforts us. The picture is of a servant who is sent into this world of suffering and disease and brokenness. To rescue us. But as we'll see over the course of the next four weeks, he does it in a surprising way. He does it by sharing in that suffering. In fact, he does it by taking on our suffering and our sin. Now, ultimately, what we'll see in these servant songs of Isaiah is that the servant redeems through sacrifice. But what we find here this morning in this first servant song is that the servant comes with kindness and compassion to those who are suffering. So please follow along as I read, starting in Isaiah 42, verse 1. This is my servant, 
I strengthen him. This is my chosen one. I delight in him. I have put my spirit on him. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not cry out or shout or make his voice heard in the streets. He will not break a bruised reed and he will not put out a smoldering wick. He will faithfully bring justice. He will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. The coast and islands will wait for his instruction. This is what God, the Lord says, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk on it. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring out prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. I am the Lord. That is my name and I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. The past events have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Father, that you would use your word to comfort us. Father, that you would use your word to rescue those who may still be in the darkness of their sins. We pray that you would be at work doing those things. Empower the preaching of your word by your spirit this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brothers and sisters, I have four points to help us consider this first servant song of Isaiah this morning. The first point is that the servant brings justice. The servant brings justice. Second, the servant brings salvation. Third, the servant brings comfort. And fourth and finally, the servant will succeed. The servant brings justice. The servant brings salvation. The servant brings comfort. And the servant will succeed. You can find that outline in the back of your bulletin if that is helpful. But first, the servant brings justice. Now, this is not fully clear in the translation of the Bible that you have in your bulletin or on the screen. But if you read other translations, you'll find that verse one begins this way. Behold, my servant or here is my servant. It's as if the Lord is holding up his servant for all to see. Behold, here he is. Look at him. In the previous chapter, Isaiah 41, the Lord invited the people of the earth to turn to him, to submit to him, to trust in him. But as chapter 41 unfolds, we find that the nations of the earth, instead of listening to the Lord, turn to idols instead. And so chapter 41 ends this way. You can look at verse 29. The Lord is speaking to the idol worshipers of the nations, and this is what he said. Look. Or behold, all of them, idols, are a delusion. Their works are non-existent. Their images are wind and emptiness. In other words, behold, your idols, they have no life and they have no power. They can provide no comfort. They can provide no rescue. They are a delusion. And so in contrast to these weak and useless idols, the Lord holds up his servant instead to the suffering people of Judah, 
to a world suffering under the curse of sin, God says, do not look to idols. Look to my servant instead. Look to my son. You will find neither rescue nor comfort in idols, whether they be idols of wood or stone, or whether they be the secret idols of your heart. They are empty. They can offer no words of comfort. They can perform no deeds of rescue. They cannot satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. They cannot fix what is broken in the world. And they can certainly not fix what is broken in you. But the Lord can. And his servant can. And so God says here in verse 1, Behold, I am sending my servant to you. I am sending my servant for you. It is the servant of the Lord who is greater than all the idols of the world because in contrast to those idols that are made by human hands, people like you and I, in contrast to that, the servant has been chosen and he has been empowered by the creator God who is enthroned above the circle of the earth. He is the chosen one who is favored. In contrast to the idols of the earth, he is living and active. The spirit who gives life strengthens and empowers the Lord's servant. Behold, I am sending this servant for you. Brothers and sisters, those are great words of comfort. This servant has come for you. And church, we of course should see all of these words of comfort fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We see this clearly in the baptism of Jesus. In Matthew's gospel again, if we go to Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, this is what Matthew writes about the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus was baptized, he went up immediately from the water. The heavens suddenly opened for him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming down on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Does not that sound like Isaiah 42.1? Jesus' baptism was an announcement. It was as if God was saying, Behold, my servant, here he is. My comfort has come. My salvation has come. Jesus' baptism was also a clear announcement that this rescue would not be the work of the servant alone, but the work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. A Christian, your salvation was planned by the Father. It was carried out by the Son. And it was empowered and applied by the Spirit. And so the Lord announced that he would send his servant. But for what purpose? Well, we find here that at least one major part of the servant's mission is to bring justice. We see that idea repeated three times in just verses 2 through 4 of Isaiah 42. He will bring justice to the nations. Verse 2. He will faithfully bring justice. Verse 3, he will not grow weak or be discouraged until he has established justice on earth. Verse 4. Well, friends, the idea of justice is to set right what has gone wrong, to repair what is broken, to do what is right. Uh, this is what Jesus came to do. And uh, friends, we know that our world is not as it should be. Injustice abounds in this world. The, the weak and the vulnerable are exploited by the strong and the powerful. Physical and sexual abuse are a sad and 
far too prevalent reality in our world. The poor are often ignored and left to fend for themselves. People, including some of you, do not receive a just salary. Companies and governments break promises and exploit the people that they are supposed to care for. Innocent civilians become the casualties of war. People are mistreated based on the color of their skin, the country they come from, their gender, their religion, and we could pile up a host of other factors. Police and judges sometimes accept bribes and pervert justice. God's people are persecuted. Friends, our world is not as it should be. But the good news is that into this world of injustice and and suffering, well, God promised to send his servant to bring justice. Jesus came into the world to fix what is broken and to set right what has gone wrong. And he came to do this on a worldwide scale. As author Paul David Tripp puts it, Jesus came to unleash his powerful restoring grace as far as the furthest effect of sin. He came to restore every single thing that sin has broken. He came to fix it all. His redemptive mission is as complete as sin's destruction is comprehensive. Friends, Jesus came to fix everything that sin has broken. Injustice, disease, suffering, sorrow, the list goes on. Jesus came to restore and redeem everything that sin has destroyed. He came to make all things, all things new. And Jesus' earthly ministry demonstrates this fact. He championed the cause of the poor and the afflicted. He treated even the, the lowliest members of society with compassion and grace. Jesus healed people from sickness and disease. We just saw that in our reading from Matthew's Gospel. He constantly freed people from the clutches of demons. I mean, Jesus' miracles were an announcement that he came to reverse the curse of sin, to set right what had gone wrong, to fix what is broken. But brothers and sisters, the truth is that we still wait for the day when justice is established throughout the earth. We know this from experience. Injustice still abounds. This world is not as it should be. Justice has not yet been fully established on earth. And it will not be until Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead and to usher in his glorious new creation. At that time, he will judge every sin. He will right every wrong. And it is at that time that he will restore all of creation. But Christian, even though you continue to live in a fallen and sin-cursed world, you can set your hope on that day of final justice. Because I don't know if you notice this in the text, but Jesus will not grow weary until the work of establishing justice is done. Well, church, how often do you grow tired of the work that you have to do? How often do you struggle to get out of bed for another day of work when that alarm goes off? Kids, how hard is it to to get up for another day of school? But the servant of the Lord is not like us. His greatness is seen in in the fact that he will not grow weak or discouraged until the work of establishing justice is done. 
And church, this reality is the, the reason that you can be a forgiving people. This is why you do not need to grow bitter when you are wronged, to grow angry at those who mistreat you. This is why you can rest and not take revenge when you experience injustice. Kids, this is why you don't have to insult people who insult you or hit people that hit you. You do not need to take justice into your own hands. And in fact, the New Testament commands that you do not take justice into your own hands. Why is that? It's because one day the God of all justice will act to right every wrong. You can trust that Jesus will one day make right every injustice that has ever been committed against you. It was either already paid for by Jesus at the cross, or it will be paid for when Jesus returns again in judgment. Oh, look at verse 2 for a moment. Well, while on earth, Jesus did not cry out or shout. He did not make his voice heard in the streets. He did not come to earth demanding his rights. When Jesus was wronged or mistreated or reviled, he did not revile in return, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Jesus waited to be vindicated. We're going to think about this idea more and more as we go through these servant songs. And brothers and sisters, you can wait to be vindicated too. One day God will right every wrong. He will vindicate his people all for his glory. You do not have to take justice into your hands. Your justice, your vindication is held in the hands of your God who is in control of all of history. Christian, that also means that God has not forgotten your suffering. He sees all the injustices you suffer in this life. He cares about all of your sorrows. He cares about all of your sufferings. And he will one day make all things right. He will wipe away all of your tears and he will take away all of your sorrows. One day, he will vindicate you. One day, you will receive justice. And yet, even though that day of final justice is in the future, we should take note that Jesus is even now at work establishing justice in this world by forgiving sin and, and reconciling people to God and to one another. He's bringing some measure of justice by establishing and building his church who are to be a people who are marked by justice and love and mercy. His church is to be a people who care for the poor and the vulnerable, who defend the weak. His church is to be a people who are united across all the things that so often divide the people of the world. Again, we could go through that list. Race, gender, class or caste, age, nationality, the list goes on. Well, God's people, his church, are to be a people who are united across all of those things, not divided. Now, the mission of the church is not to fix everything that is broken in the world. It is not to transform all of society and bring justice through the whole earth. The mission of the church is to proclaim the gospel, which is the only thing that can truly transform society. Now, the truth is that Christians are often powerless to help establish justice on any large scale. I mean, what power do we have in this place? But we do, Christian, you do have the power to act justly in your own personal relationships. People should receive justice from you. You should be honest in your dealings. And we may not have the power to fix everything that is broken in our world and repair all the injustices of the world. But the servant does. Jesus does. 
He is the one who has the power to establish justice on the whole earth. And one day, he surely will. He will be glorified. And so first, the servant brings justice. But second, we see in this text that the servant brings salvation. As we think about the fact that the servant will bring justice, there is something important that I do not want you to miss. Just look at verses 6 and 7 for a moment. I am the Lord. I have called you for a righteous purpose, and I will hold you by your hand. I will watch over you, and I will appoint you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the nations in order to open blind eyes, to bring prisoners from the dungeon and those sitting in darkness from the prison house. What I do not want you to miss from those verses is the fact that Jesus did not just come to rescue you from the injustice of the world. Jesus did not just come to rescue you from the brokenness of the world. Jesus came to save you from your own bondage to sin. He came to to shine a light of his goodness into the blackness of your own soul. He came to give you spiritual sight. The brothers and sisters, your biggest problem is not just that you experience injustice. Your biggest problem is that you are unjust yourself. You do not just experience the results of sin. You are a sinner. In the early 1900s, a newspaper in England asked several well-known authors to reply to this question. What's wrong with the world today? That was the question. What's wrong with the world today? Well, the well-known Christian writer G.K. Chesterton wrote this in response. Dear sir, I am. In other words, I am what's wrong with the world. It is my sin that is the problem with this world. Friends, your biggest problem is not outside of yourself. It is inside of yourself. It is not just society that needs to be made new. You need to be made new. You do not just need to be rescued from the injustices of this world. You need to be rescued from the evil of your own heart. Your greatest need is to be brought into right relationship with God. And this is what Jesus came to do. This is what it means in verse 6 when it says that Jesus would be a covenant for the people and a a light to the nations. He came to bring people back into covenant, covenant relationship or right relationship with God. He came to shine his light into hearts that were darkened by sin. He came to free those who were trapped by their anger or their lust or their greed and do not know the way out. He came to free those who hate themselves, who hate the ways that they act, who hate the ways that they feel, but don't know how to change. He came to save. Friends, on the cross, Jesus took the just punishment that lost, unjust, ashamed, and guilty sinners deserved for their sin. Jesus absorbed every bit of God's wrath for sin on behalf of all who would ever come to him in repentance and faith. Jesus came to take the curse of sin upon himself so that all who give up their sins and place their faith in him can experience freedom. They can experience new life. They can experience abundant life. Friends, unless you are brought back into right relationship with God, the coming justice of God is not good news for you. Unless you are brought into right relationship with God, the coming justice of God is not good news for you. 
That's because if you were left in your sins, you are deserving of God's wrath. You are deserving of his eternal displeasure. You are deserving of death and hell. This is what God's justice demands. That's because you are responsible for the brokenness of the world too. If you do not turn to Jesus, you will one day face his judgment. You will face his terrifying justice. But the glorious good news of the gospel is that God sent his servant to save you. And he didn't just send any servant to rescue you. God sent his beloved son, the son in whom he delights. I love how Richard Sibbs, the old Puritan pastor from the 1600s, puts it in his book, A Bruised Reed. He writes this. Christ was God's servant and the greatest piece of service there ever was. A chosen and a choice servant who did and suffered all by commission from the Father. In this we may see the sweet love of God to us. And that he counts the work of our salvation by Christ his greatest service. And in that... He will put only his beloved son to that service. Friends, pretend for a moment that you were lost in the middle of the desert. You were running out of water, maybe about to die of thirst. And before your phone dies, you're able to call the Fujera police and ask for help. Now, what would make you feel more loved and valued? If the person that was sent to hopefully find you and to rescue you was just some contractor who put in the lowest bid for your rescue, the one who said that they could do it the cheapest, like that's who they sent to rescue you. Would you feel more loved and valued if the ruler of Fajera sent his very own son to find you and to bring you back? Friends, I think we know the answer. And this is what God did. He put his beloved son to the work of our salvation. He will not give his glory to another. Our triune God has acted to bring salvation through his very son. Richard Sibbs goes on to write this. What comfort is this? That seeing God's love rests on Christ as well pleased in him. We may gather that he is well pleased with us if we be in Christ. Uh, Christian, the, the wonderful comfort of the gospel is that because God delights in his son, Jesus Christ, he delights in all those who are united to his son by faith. Christian, the the truth is that any favor that you enjoy with God, the favor that you do enjoy with God, it has nothing to do with you. God is not pleased with you and God does not delight in you because you are delightful. He is not pleased with you because of anything that you have done. He is pleased with you because he is pleased with his son. You are favored because you have been united to the favored one of God. And Christian, this is why your salvation is secure. I mean, imagine for a moment if God's favor for you, if his favor that was on you, if his pleasure in you depended on your own performance. Would you ever have any assurance that you enjoyed God's favor, that you enjoyed his eternal pleasure, that you would in the end be saved? No, but Christian, even when you sin, God's love and his affection for you does not change. His love and his favor for you stay the same because his love and his favor for his son stays the same. You are secure 
Because Jesus' favor with the Father is secure. My friends, Jesus came to adopt you into, into the family of God so that you might share in the delight that the Father has eternally had for the Son and that the Son has eternally had for the Father. And brothers and sisters, it is hard to think of a more comforting truth than that. And that brings us to the third point of the servant, that the, that the servant does bring comfort. Friends, Jesus provides comfort to those who are suffering under the curse of sin. He provides comfort to his people who are patiently waiting for that day of final justice. Look again at verse 3. He will not break a bruised reed, and he will not put out a smoldering wick. Well, a reed is one of those weak and hollow sticks that grows at the side of the river. You know those ones that are so easily blown by the wind? Those ones that you can basically just snap in half with, with two fingers. But Jesus does not break weak and bruised and damaged and bent reeds. He tenderly cares for them. He binds them up. He restores them. He cares for the suffering and the grieving and, and the hurting. Jesus builds and, and encourages the weak and smoldering faith of the weak. He does not snuff out the, the small embers of faith. He does not snuff out the fire of faith that is barely burning, but comes and nurtures it and feeds it and, and fans it until it grows. Now, Christian, the, the greatest and the, the most important people on the earth, maybe kings, celebrities, presidents, CEOs, well, this is not universally true, but they're not always known for caring for the lowest members of society. They're not always known for, for caring for the needs of the most vulnerable, for the bruised and for the hurting. No, they, they often work to keep themselves in, insulated from those of a lower social position, those who are poor, those who are of a different class. They sometimes use people for their own gain instead of caring for and building up those who have nothing to offer, as, we, as do we all sometimes, if we're honest. But not Jesus. No, instead, Jesus gave up the glory of heaven, and he took on human flesh to live among us. He came to, to share in our griefs. Friends, he came to share in our sufferings. But Jesus came to, to humbly serve. And during his time on earth, we just find over and over and over again that Jesus was attracted to the helpless and the humble and the hurting. And nothing has changed. The, the same thing is true of Jesus today. The author of Hebrews calls Jesus a high priest, our high priest who can sympathize with our weaknesses. He's a high priest who, who cares for you, who, who loves you and who comforts you. And Jesus offers his comfort to all those who will come to him. For, for those who have experienced the sufferings and injustices of this world, to those who have been bruised and afflicted by this world, Jesus has come. But friends, more than that, he offers to heal you of the bruises and suffering of your own sin. You do not need to conceal your wounds from Jesus because he will not refuse you for your sins and your imperfections. Instead, he heals you of your bruises and binds up your heart when you come to him. Jesus will not refuse you for the, the weakness of your faith. He does not throw you off or ignore you because of your doubts. 
He does not break a bruised reed or put out a smoldering wick. But Jesus comes and binds up the bruised and the broken. He tenderly fans the, the smoldering wick until it grows into a raging fire. Friends, just think about the Apostle Peter for a moment. How did Jesus respond to him when he denied Jesus three times? After his resurrection, he came to Peter with tender love and care, restored him, re-emphasized his love for him. Friends, Jesus does not break a bruised reed, and he does not put out a smoldering wick. And so, friends, if you do find yourself bruised and broken today, if you find yourself hurting and suffering, if you find yourself in need, if you're doubting and you're, you're fearful and you're, you're anxious, you can run to Jesus. As we just sang, you can run to Jesus because he will embrace you in his arm. Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. You can arise and go to Jesus because he will embrace you in his arms. So take your sin to him. Take your doubts to him. Take your fears to him. Take your sufferings to him. Take your sorrows to him. Because he will not break a bruised reed. And he will not put out a smoldering wick. And church, if this is the attitude of Jesus towards sinners and sufferers, it should be our attitude towards sinners and sufferers as well. Now, one of the lessons that I had to learn early on in my marriage and a lesson that, if I'm honest, I am still learning, though I'm not so new in my marriage, is that sometimes, actually most times, when something is difficult, when something difficult is going on, uh, when there's a problem in Delane's life or in our life, well, Delane really just needs me to listen to her and comfort her. She does not want me to try to solve all of her problems. Sometimes I like to try to solve all of her problems, and sometimes Delane does not appreciate that very much. She just wants comfort. She just wants compassion. Well, well, as Christians, we're called to show the compassion of Christ to those who are suffering. To provide a shoulder to cry on, a listening ear, a compassionate heart. And, and friends, one of the things that distinguishes Christianity from every other religion on earth is that you are called to show the compassion of love and Je- of love, compassion and love of Jesus, even when you're mistreated, even to your enemies. How often when people sin against you do you want to hold a grudge, to angrily let them know how much they messed up, to hurt them for the ways that they have hurt you, to ignore them or push them out of your life, to break them, Brothers and sisters, this is not the way of Christ. Church, we should desire for Emmanuel to be a place where it is safe for people to share their sorrows because they know they will be met with tender care. We should desire to be a place where it is safe for people to confess their sins and their struggles and their doubts because they know they will be met with mercy and not judgment. Now, we are not going to do this perfectly. I will not do this perfectly. We will bruise one another. We will at times break one another. We will at times pour some water on smoldering wicks. But not Jesus. So more and more we pray that Jesus will form us into his image. 
And more and more we want to place our trust in the one who will never break a bruised reed and who will never put out a smoldering wick. Friends, Jesus brings justice and he brings salvation, but know that he brings comfort. And take heart because fourth and finally, the servant will succeed. And friends, the good news of the servant's mission is that the success of his rescue mission is certain. Christian, your final salvation is certain. The day of God's perfect justice is certain. Look at verse 5. Who is it that has sent and commissioned this servant? It is the God who created the heavens and stretched them out. Who spread out the earth and what comes from it. Who gives breath to the people on it. This is a rescue from God's own hands. It is the creator God who breathes life into all living things who has sent his servant, who is with his servant, who is even now empowering his servant. In fact, the servant himself, Jesus, is fully God. He is the one by whom all things were created. A Christian, it is God alone who can save, and it is God alone who has acted to save. Your salvation is secure because it is in the hands of your sovereign and your triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, the God who is in control of all of history and will bring all things to their appointed end, all for his glory. Look at verse 9. The past events have indeed happened. Now I declare new events. I announce them to you before they occur. Now remember, Isaiah lived about 150 years before the people of Judah were conquered and forcibly exiled by the Babylonians. He is prophesying to a people who are going to live hundreds of years after him. And yet in chapter 39, under the inspiration of the Spirit, Isaiah prophesied that that exile to Babylon would indeed happen. And we thought about that a little bit last week. Well, this is what would have come to mind to the people of Judah who were living in exile in Babylon when they read God's declaration that the past and past events have indeed happened. What God declared in the past, well, it happened just the way that he said it would. He had prophesied that they were going to be exiled, and there they were sitting in exile. So when he declared new events, they should believe that those new events would happen just as he said as well. So church, how much confidence should you have that the things that God has declared will indeed happen? God declared that he would send his servant And he has sent his servant. What reason do you have to doubt that Jesus will indeed return to establish justice? You can have certain faith and certain hope that you will obtain the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You can have certain faith and certain hope that Jesus will triumph in the end. The God who spoke the world into existence has declared what will happen. The God who holds all of history, every single event, in human history, in his hands, will certainly act to bring about that which he has declared. And brothers and sisters, look at verse 8. You can be confident because our God will not give his glory to another. He will not allow things that dishonor him or rob him of his glory to go on forever. He will not allow the injustices of this world to go on forever. He will not allow people to offer false worship to false gods forever. He will not allow people to ignore him forever. One day, 
God will act so that his name is glorified throughout the whole earth. One day he will act so that the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory as the waters cover the sea. Friends, if you are here and not a Christian, I want you to know clearly that God will one day bring justice. He will bring justice to all who do not, to all who do not bow their knee and give him the glory that he is due. He will bring justice to all who trust in idols rather than him. What he has declared will certainly come to pass. But he has sent his servant, Jesus Christ, to rescue you and to set you free. If you will come to him. Friends, if you want the justice, the coming justice of God to bring good news for you, you must place your faith in Jesus. You must now give him the glory that he is due. When he returns in judgment, when his glory is visible for all to see, it will be too late. Friends, he has sent his servant, Jesus Christ, to, to rescue you and set you free. And friends, Jesus is a compassionate and gracious Savior. He will not turn you away if you come to him. No matter how bruised and battered you might be, no matter what you might have in your past, no matter what might be going on in your present, no matter what you have done, he will bind up your heart and he will heal you if you will come. He has spoken. He will surely do it. So arise and come to Jesus because he will surely embrace you in his arms. Let's pray.